back to the Magic of the Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. If this is your first time here, I'm an evolutionary astrologer who writes weekly forecasts at monarchastrology.com, and I started this podcast to have more eclectic conversations about spiritual life in general. I've been voraciously consuming good ideas for as long as I can remember, And part of my astrology practice is continuing to have new experiences and to research new things. And so I wanted to create this podcast to have more conversations, both about astrology and topics related to astrology. And I'm very excited to introduce today's guest to you. Jason Hawley is a psychotherapist and astrologer based out of Santa Fe, New Mexico. I first encountered his work at my first Northwest Astrological Conference in 2016. Jason's synthesis of psychology and astrology showed me new layers of possibility within my own astrological practice, and I would say that on a variety of occasions when I've attended any of his lectures, both online and in person, that it's changed my life. True to the philosophy of his therapeutic practice that he'll share in this episode, his work expands my psychic flexibility which means my ability to perceive new angles of life and to gain access for new ways of interacting with life as a result. In this episode, we talk about personality structure and how psychic fixity, so being rigidly stuck in a personality pattern which we've probably built up as a defense to certain life circumstances, being rigidly stuck in these patterns can be the kind of limitation or self-repeating cycle that brings people into therapy or can become what we'd call personality disorder. However, these personality structures happen on a spectrum. So someone can be running narcissistic process without being a narcissist. And this distinction is important. So we talk about that. Even someone who we would call a narcissist is also running narcissistic process. And Jason makes the distinction that our personalities are verbs and not things, which is a way freeing, right? We don't have to be the patterns or the behaviors that we've enacted in the past. We spoke about a few personality processes like histrionic, narcissistic, and borderline. And part of Jason's work is helping to loosen up personality structures and patterns so that people can experience more psychic flexibility. Many of us probably know that we can change our lives to change our external world, and we've probably done it on a variety of occasions, that we have this power for increased happiness or thriving in life that comes from changing within and not just editing our external circumstances, though of course there is a place and importance for changing our external life. But when we talk about changing within, that idea is great, but how, you know? So I like studying psychology and astrology. Both of these things can expand my imagination of the psyche. I'm so grateful for the visions and contribution that Jason brings to the astrology community and so excited to share this conversation with you. Hi, Jason. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thanks. Good to be here. 
So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what brought you to be a therapist and an astrologer and what does your practice look like today? Sure. Uh, so yeah, I, I grew up in astrology. So astrology has kind of been there since the beginning. My chart was done as soon as I was born. Uh, although it was actually done wrongly. So, uh, I had to kind of, uh, grow up and realize that I was not a Leo rising. I was a cancer rising, which I definitely think is true. Um, but I didn't find that out until I was a teenager and started to do charts myself. So, my astrology, uh, I grew up with people who were very fluent. No one was a professional astrologer. Um, and then when I was about 13, I, I, I found a lot of um, more metaphysically oriented astrology books that were sort of hidden away in my grandmother's house uh, and started to read those secretly and then started to do charts and teach people when I was about 16 and kind of uh, just kept going from there. So astrology has really been on you know, along the way the whole time. And, uh, and then in terms of um, psychotherapy, uh, that really uh, began around my Saturn return when I was uh, really um, taking care of, of someone my, kind of like my mother figure uh, who was dying. And I sort of realized as I was sort of walking that path with her that uh, this is something I can do. You know, I'm not afraid to go to these places with people. And so uh, I also in the context of a lot of work on my own stuff, um, discovered a very experiential uh, program grad school here in Santa Fe called Southwestern. And so about 14 years ago, uh, wow, <laughs> 14 years ago, I, I went there, I came out here to Santa Fe and, uh, and did grad school. And so I've been a therapist since then. Uh, and I integrate astrology. Like, the two of them are integrated everywhere for me. So every client, I, I have the chart as part of our experience with different people. It might be something we actively reference frequently or not. Um, but but astrology is always in the room. Astrology is kind of like uh, the way I find myself talking about it these days is like astrology is like the the wise elder, you know, who is in the room. The chart is like this wise elder who's in the room, and when the client and I uh, need help understanding something and might just be me needing help understanding the client more or, or gaining greater empathy for what they're going through. Then we turn to the elder in the room and much like an elder in a traditional society, um, the chart doesn't say, here you go, one, two, three, this is what's going on and so on. It tells a story and, you know, like an elder would tell a story in a village and a parable or, you know, something like that that doesn't give you a linear solution, but it gives you, it potentiates your own imagination for how to, how to work with what's in front of you. And so we frequently are consulting the elder, you know, and sometimes we just go just for a story, even when there's nothing wrong, right. You know, just to get more perspective or more wisdom. Um, Cause as you know, I know that you know this, you know, the chart never stops giving stories. It never stops giving perspective. I mean, it's just endless. Um, so, uh, so, so astrology is woven into all of my work as a therapist, which remains the bulk of what I do. I'm, I'm mainly a psychotherapist in long-term psychotherapy. And that's still, I think of that as my, um, primary professional work. Although I do increasingly do a lot of teaching and astrological work as well, of course. Yeah. Your workshops and your, um, well, webinars and things that I've seen at conferences are very informative and invite this whole new perspective of all the signs or 
you know, even like you added storytelling to conjunctions one time. Um, oh yeah. Uh-huh. That was super cool. Um, and it's also cool that you were into astrology at a young age. Uh, I can uh-huh. relate to that also. And I can't really imagine what it's like to come of age without having astrology uh-huh. in the picture. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was, in my case, I was born into a family uh, this is classic South Node in Cancer in the twelfth house. Uh, you know, I was born into a matriarchy. You know, I, I, when I was born, there were five generations. I was the fifth generation. We were all living at the same time, um, and it was my mother, her mother, her mother, and her mother, and we all lived in the same house. Um, and all of them oh my God. were, yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was wacky. Let me, I mean, let's not idealize it, but, but it was also beautiful, you know, and all of them were in varying degrees involved with psychism and astrology. Like my great, great grandmother, who was the oldest when I was born, she was a tea leaf reader and people would come, you know, from around, I, I grew up in Appalachia. So it was that type of thing. It was like folk astrology and folk practice, you know, like you get a feeling in your leg and there's a storm coming, you know, it's that kind of, uh, you know, very, um, you know, gut based, not especially in the head and not even especially in the heart, but very gut based, very like, I feel it, you know? And so, um, so yeah, everybody was, there was just this very, uh, wacky, uh, but also, um, wonderful, you know, lineage that I'm, I'm, I'm a part of, uh, that was, that was also a matriarchy, which I think is really crucial to it as well in terms of having a, maybe a little bit more of a nighttime orientation to astrology than a daytime (laughs) orientation. Yeah. I didn't know you were Southland in cancer. I am also. Oh, really? Oh, oh, so we are. Oh, wow. And that also means I'm a lot older. Uh, that's great though. Oh, so you are. Oh, that's great. I love that. Yeah. I like South Node in Cancer. I feel like it, you know, I like being emotionally overwhelmed all the time. (laughs) (laughs) It is a signature for a natural therapist though. I think so. I actually really do. I think it, we're just so willing, at least in my experience, there's a lot of willingness in that nodal signature to feel things and to fully experience one's experience. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So what is your philosophy as a therapist and maybe too about how your philosophy is with combining astrology? I guess you already said that actually with the elder in the room. Um, but yeah, general philosophy as a therapist. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I am, uh, that's always evolving for me. Like one of the, one of my philosophies as a therapist is to really, not have a fixed philosophy uh, in a way. And, and because I feel like I, I feel very aware of my own continuous growth and, and my not having it all figured out and, la- and, and, and not even desiring to have it all figured out. You know, it's like, I feel like my philosophy is really to show up fully in a, in a relational, vulnerable way that is highly centered on the client's experience, but is also using my own experience as a guide. Uh, not my, I don't mean my life. Well, I do mean my life experience, like history and all that, but I really mean my in the moment experience with the client. So I, I really work from a highly embodied and relational way. So I'm really keenly tracking my own process while also really tracking the client's process and using both of those to inform how I interact. And I'd say that the gods that are most guide me and all of them, of course, come in as we know, but uh, Hermes or Mercury is, is probably most relevant to what I do. And I, and I think, um, 
that's because Mercury alone among the gods, as far as I can tell in the Greco-Roman pantheon, didn't have any particular agenda, right? Whereas all the other gods seem to have something they want you to do pretty consistently, you know, um, like, you know, uh, Hera wants you to respect your commitments. Athena wants you to be clever and wise. Um, Vesta wants you to be able to sit still and be self-contained, you know, whatever it is. But Mercury shows up in all sorts of things and never seems to have a consistent agenda except to keep the story going and tends to show up when the story gets stuck. And I think that's a really nice metaphor for therapeutic process that people usually come when some pattern is being iterated and iterated and they want it to not just keep repeating meaning in a seemingly meaningless way. And, uh, and so, uh, Mercury becomes a real help and Mercury also, you know, tends to loosen up structures that have gotten too tight or processes that have gotten too repetitive. Um, and, uh, and does so just by showing up, you know, it, 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 and so that's, you know, he's, he's my guiding patron for sure. And the other uh, speaking astrologically is of course the lunar and the moon, uh, that zone, because it's my experience that if we don't speak to the moon and someone, then the system doesn't feel safe enough to loosen up, you know? So I feel like, uh, the moon whispering is the other major part of what I'm doing is sort of really attuning in as profound a way as I can to all the curves of the person's psyche and really um, like you, you know, uh, get, getting into that level of attunement, which seems to allow the things to relax enough to shift. Um, so it's lunar, you know, Mercury moon have been my usual ways of thinking about what I do. Yeah. <laughs> That's so beautiful. And I actually remember you saying that about Mercury keeping the story going, and it was a like light bulb aha moment for me. And mm. even just the last week, I've been really grateful for Mercury and thinking about it a lot because um, I was talking with someone and she gave me the idea to ask more questions and be more curious. And, mm -hmm. you know, it was like, you kind of have this self-limiting belief going on. I don't think you've even questioned it. And I was like, oh my God, mm -hmm. you're right. And she's like, you mm -hmm. can gather more information. And right. my life changed. And so I always talk about my life changing because it just changes all the time because of new information, exactly. new books, yeah. new conversations. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that is so cool. Yeah. And I think that's the way to, for me, that's the healing approach is that if we come in that way on our own side of the equation as the, as the astrologer or the therapist or whatever, you know, modality, if, if we come in uh, knowing that, that we're not done uh, or cooked, you know, um, then I think our availability to be whatever the client might need from us is much wider, you know, than if I have sort of like, this is how it works and this is what I'm doing and sort of a guru type mentality or more Jupiterian, which I love Jupiter, but a Jupiterian approach in this setting for me can't, couldn't be mine, you know, in the, I, I'm going to have to be in a more psychically flexible state. That might be another part of my philosophy is like, I deeply hope to assist people in greater and greater levels of psychic flexibility so that they can respond spontaneously to life. Um, and, you know, if we're psychically flexible, all I mean by that is just the capacity. It really just mean uh, Jacob Moreno, who's a big inspiration of mine. I'm a, I'm a psychodramatist also, and I do that in group settings. Um, and Moreno was the founder of psychodrama and his, he, he, he called psychodrama, the religion of the encounter. Uh, you know, that the, the idea of like just absolutely, the capacity to encounter each moment 
with the full range of spontaneous responses that you might want to bring there. And, um, and so much of my work, I think, is about increasing the number of options for how people can respond to their own lives. Um, and th- not that I know which one they should use, but that I want them to feel like they have the capacity to access so many different ways of responding to life um, so that it's the most creative and the most beautiful. You know, I, I'm a, <laughs> I have four planets in Libra, you know, the end of the end of all this is I want it to be pretty. <laughs> But not pretty, like shadow denying pretty. I mean, you know, but just like, you know, there's there's something gorgeous about good therapy sessions like they have an aesthetics. Um, So. So, yeah, psychic flexibility is huge for me. What is the kind of the opposite to that? So like someone who has a lack of psychic flexibility, what does that do? Oh, that's a great. uh, Yeah. The. the, um, uh, to me, it's sort of like getting identified or rigidly fixed around particular constellations of how to respond to life. So, um, so the, the space, and I know we were going to talk about, you know, for instance, narcissistic process and kind of leads us there because the space of, um, like what I see, tend to see happens is we get identified with certain parts of ourselves we get kind of too rigidly identified with certain parts or certain responses or certain patterns and a lot of times that's because uh survival was dependent on particular patterns of response right most of us have grown up and when i say survival is dependent that makes it sound like we were under life-threatening experiences but it's not that everyone really was but most of us actually do grow up with the experience of moments where we either believe or in fact it's the case that our survival will be jeopardized. And so there are certain things that we hold on tightly to. And usually it's because there, there's some basic feeling of annihilation will result if I don't, if I don't keep responding to life this way. Um, and at the, at a, in, a, in psychological language, we would talk about that as personality or character structure and possibly as personality disorder. And personality is what I really work a lot with. And, and I define it maybe a a spiritual definition of personality, which would say personality is sort of like your, your, your membrane of encounter with the world around you. It's the bridge between the internal and the external between your lived inner experience and that which is external or experienced as external to you. And maybe even also you could call personality, your immune system, your psychological immune system. And what I mean by that is that, um, you know, as you're growing in, in life, you start to like have, encounter certain toxins or certain things around you and your system kind of learns how to deal with them. But then just like the immune system, if, if your immune system starts to believe that everything's threatening when things are not threatening, right? Like allergies are the classic example. Um, then you end up in very rigid responses and the immune system is getting inflamed when really there's no threat. Uh, but, but it reads the allergen as a threat, like this is going to take me down and I have to have all this, these responses to stop it. Um, and so personality structures seem to work very similarly. Like they can get really fixated about, you know, my only option. So, um, so a histrionic orientation would say the way I survive is by making myself really bright. And then, you know, I get a, I can get attention and really telegraph my emotions really strongly. Maybe I needed to do that to get my caregiver's attention early in life, or maybe, maybe I really needed to like come on strong into the environment as a way of, um, to, as a way to stay safe. 
Um, and so now I continue to do that, even though I don't need to do it. And in fact, it actually constellates the very problems I've had, which is I felt rejected and unchosen. You know, so now when I push so hard out externally, I actually, it's an attractor pattern, right? And like in complexity science, it's like, you know, um, rejection led me to project harder. And now I'm projecting so hard leads me to rejection. And, but I keep, I keep projecting hard because that's what I learned to do. But actually, it's just keeping this attractor. That would be a classic example of psychic fixity where you're just kind of locked into this, this round and you don't even realize that you're attracting the thing that you are trying to be free from. And so that's where we hope to see, I hope to see that if I can have a profound enough attunement with someone that relaxes that need to do that. And if I can also learn, dance differently with their pattern than everyone else has. You know, most patterns um, call forth responses in people, right? So I will feel with a histrionic client, let's just say, someone who's running really strong telegraphing of emotion to the point where it feels inauthentic and you feel like you're kind of um, having a show performed in front of you rather than like really real feelings. Um, so my work will be to how do I not do what probably everybody else does, which is either in that case... Um, tolerate the person, but kind of just not take them very seriously. Frequently, these people are not taken seriously at all. Um, or I also will feel a pull to reject the person and be like, God, you know, really difficult. Or I might do the sitting as the enraptured audience. So I'm, <laughs> I have too much fifth house to be anybody's enraptured audience. <laughs> if anything, <laughs> I want them to be mine. So, so I don't, I don't usually feel that particular pull, <laughs> but some, but some people do, right? You, so you're like, Oh, wow. That's amazing. You know, Cause a lot of times people who are really histrionic will even pause when they talk and waiting for you to give them something back, you know, and you'll feel like you're supposed to say, wow, or that's incredible. Or, you know, so anyway, we'll feel all these pulls to be pulled under the attractor, but I don't want to be just one more person who runs the pattern with the, my entire desire is to figure out where's the in-between space. What could I do that's different than what this person always gets? Um, and sometimes I'll have to fall into it and do the pattern with them for a while. And that seems necessary even. But at some point, there'll be a, a conscious sort of, okay, how do I want to dance with this differently? Or with a person who has the capacity to hear this, to actually name my dilemma and say, you know, it's interesting when you say these things so strongly. And when you say everything is amazing, like every experience you have seems to be amazing. Um I find I, I end up in this dilemma of how do I respond to you or how I can't quite feel you, you know? And so naming the dilemma is one of my favorite things to do. And astrology, by the way, is a fabulous way to name the dilemma without using pathological language, you know, that, 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 that becomes clinical and, and, uh, uh, you know, I don't really want somebody to think of themselves as histrionic personality disorder. I mean, it can be useful for a while, but why bother? <laughs> yeah, you're you can, right. You know? When you can talk about strong fifth house stuff, or you could talk about um, certain placements, Venusian placements tend to run some histrionic energy or moon conjunct, you know, near the angles. There's a lot of different things I've seen that are stories of, you know, that's the other thing too, is like, I know you know this, but just for, since we're talking to a, a wide range of people, um, you know, there's no astrological this equals psychological that, right? I mean, there's no one story because the the diagnostic nomenclature 
has nothing like the richness of the astrology. I mean, it, it can never approach it. So we're never going to say like, this is a signature of narcissism in the charter. Um, instead, there's like, you know, if I, if somebody comes in and says they're bipolar, there are like, in my head, there's immediately like 10 or 12 different astrological stories of bipolar that I've seen in the chart, right? There's Jupiter Saturn stories about expansion versus contraction. There's Uranus Moon stories where the coherence of the psyche is disrupted. Um, and they all have mythological stuff connected to them, you know, that I stories I can tell and 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 it's just going to depend on the person. And and then we are out of that language of bipolar and we're in a much more rich language uh, that, that you and I know, you know, that has so much more range. So, I totally anyway, agree. That, sorry. <laughs> I just totally agree. Mm. Um, yeah. Back when I was so in 2012, I had like a spiritual awakening that I've talked about on this podcast, but it got misunderstood as bipolar. And I was like, I'm not bipolar. Like I just mm. had a very extreme awakening and I had difficulty integrating it, mm-hmm. but I was so, um, resistant to the label that it didn't really, I just didn't want to buy into the patterns that came with it about how I might flip out randomly and have to make sure (laughs) I don't get triggered so that I don't blow up. You know, it was just like this other language that didn't speak to my experience fully. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. And what I desire with anybody I'm working with is that we have a story that feels like that resonates with their sense of their story. And it doesn't mean they won't get new information from me and I won't, you know, offer. That's the beauty of mythology as an approach to astrology too, is because, you know, if you tell a story, somebody, everybody goes different places with the same stories, you know? And so, um, and you just don't know, you, you know, there's just that moment that most of us know with astrology and it's probably why we, it becomes our, one of our, direct ways of living is that there's just that moment when the story just utterly speaks to your soul. You know, like that's my fucking story. It's like, that's me. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm afraid, I'm afraid it's almost impossible not to, uh, I have an untamed mercury, you know, conjunct Uranus. Um, so yeah, it's like, it, that's my story. Like, Oh my gosh, that's it. And, 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 you know, and then years later, the same story, you realize parts of it, you, couldn't integrate at that time like you you also see like oh um you know you, a, another detail of the myth becomes relevant kind of like if you have you know if you have an active dream life the way you know your dream today will be later a different way you know you'll probably see other things about the dream um but yeah i i, I hear you with the um the clinical stories that we tell are sometimes useful for sure. You know, like for me, I also have a bipolar diagnosis in that world. And for me, the bipolar story was empowering for a while to be able to, it didn't feel like usually I find clinical diagnosis is put on top of somebody and they they have to like carry it and bear it rather than put underneath them that they can stand on it. You know, it's like that it becomes like an empowering thing for them. And for many people, Clinical stories will never be that. They'll always have this quality of imposition because that's just not the person's natural language. And, and also, um, the clinical stories are so tied up in patriarchal and, you know, um, linear consciousness, you know, like, like, uh, like, you know, A equals B and medication and all that stuff. So, so it's going to be about finding the story together with the person, you know, that, that may or may not ever use clinical distinctions. Um, and in my experience, those are just not nearly as rich as, as the ones we have. 
Um, although occasionally, I'll just say uh, one thing that modern, uh, you know, I mean, and also psychology itself, as we practice it, only has, you know, 100 years behind, 120 years behind it. Whereas, you know, astrology has 3,000, 4,000 years. Uh, and so, but I will say that with regard to what I was talking about earlier, like personality structure, character structure, um, there are some things in modern psychological language that have have noticed certain conjuries of symptoms that go together, tend to travel together, like certain attractor patterns have been identified. And they are not things I can find readily in older systems of, you know, like Enneagrams and uh, uh, all the different things, you know, the four humors and astrology. So the modern age has contributed some really special distinctions, but we have to sort of liberate them. My friend, Brian Clark, who's a astrologer who's influenced me more than any person else um he once wrote to me we have a an ongoing correspondence and he once wrote to me you know diagnosis has lost its metaphor uh it's it's not experienced as a metaphor it's experienced as a thing and if we can offer a diagnosis to a client or an astrological you know like a t-square you know whatever if we can offer that as metaphor then we empower the person's ability to imagine their own story and to reimagine it. But if we offer it as a thing, like this is it, this is your T-square and this is the fate that you have, or, you know, this is your diagnosis. Um, then we haven't liberated their imagination. We've actually constrained their ability to imagine. We've actually restricted how they can see themselves. And my desire is the very opposite. Uh, it's to complexly offer something that's complex enough to respect how, amazingly complex we are we're crazy complex people <laughs> yeah I mean, and i think as cancer south notes we just know that <laughs> <laughs> there's all these layers yeah <laughs> totally mm. wow <clears throat> sorry yeah. i'm all over <laughs> oh no i'm really feeling the mercury and it's cool i have the experience of I mean, it's just like life is very tapestry-like and there's all these synchronicities. So just that I've had like a week or so of being heightened in my thinking about Mercury, mm. it's nice to encounter it again. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then speaking of narcissism, yeah, as a personality mm. structure, when I was at my first Norwalk in 2016 and I saw you speak about narcissism and narcissistic process. And that was the mm -hmm. first time I'd ever heard that term and it was really impactful for me. So mm -hmm. I wanted to bring you on the show to share that with the listeners. Um, mm -hmm. cause I think that really, I haven't heard anyone else talk about narcissistic process and narcissism is such a loaded term that people throw around as like a, a character mm -hmm. assault and all of that. So, um, yeah, when it comes to like, what is narcissism versus, you know, narcissistic process? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I found myself starting to use that kind of language because I felt frustrated with, um, the way that, um, a lot of psychological processes get reified into like an identity, like the narcissist, you know, uh, one way to say it would be that psychological process or psychodynamics are really verb. It's a verb. You know, you run narcissism, you run borderline, you run histrionic 
patterns, you know. Um, and the thing is, many of us will, and I think all of us have a couple that we major in kind of the same way we see in astrology, right? Like some of us run more Cancerian process, some of us run more Leo, you know, whatever that is, we run, we all have, can run them all at different times, but but most of us major in a couple, you know, and um, and so those, when the ones we major in can often be, because they're iterated and iterated and iterated over and over again, they often seem like they are structural. You know, they begin to seem like the verb seems like a noun. You know, it's like if you do a verb enough, like if you do narcissistic process enough, it's very tempting to call you narcissist and sort of like freeze that. Um, and I'm uncomfortable with that because it, it feels like it, you know, in psychoanalytic discourse, they often talked about narcissism and borderline and things like that as things that really can't be treated. You know, it can't change. Um, and I, I absolutely disagree with that, uh, 100%. And um, now I'm not going to say I can guarantee that every person will change, but I just, this, having as a starting point uh, that that's the case is really, I think, actually is a countertransference of our field to these patterns because these patterns actually kind of seem to want you to think that about them in a way. And so we've actually fallen into that when we start to say that. Like, um, so, so I started to talk about narcissistic process or you know whatever that uh, that that kind of languaging because i think it it reminds us that this is intervenable and it's also a thing you're doing and not a thing you are you know it's like the, you're you're you're, you're you, it doesn't you're not getting information about who a person is based on the defensive processes they run actually in a way you're getting information about who they're not uh you know they're this is who they had to be to survive real life you know like like think about people with repellent personalities and they exist. Let me tell you. I mean, they're, you know, I mean, I, I work with people sometimes who have what I would consider to be really like a personality that just really sets you up to just think they're an asshole or really not nice to be around. And, um, you know, certain antagonistic structures that people, some people develop antagonistic personalities, which the whole point of the thing is to throw you off, you know, and to make you feel off balance. And, so you tend to not like a person like that, but even those people, right? And and I say those people is and we're all those people. We all have antagonism that we run, but some people run it way more than others. And um, but they are also one of my jobs as a therapist is to not believe that the thing I'm seeing most often is the whole thing. You know, it's like like to not believe that narcissist like that a narcissist is only a narcissist like to remember that this person is way more complex than their narcissistic process even if that process is so iterated like constantly that it just becomes exhausting right to sit with it but my work is to continuously maintain the sort of second sight that remembers much more is present that remembers there's way more stories there this is why the chart is so cool because you know, the astrology is ruled by Mercury uh, in traditionally. I mean, you know, Uranus people talk about in modern, but, um, you know, Mercury has been the ruler of astrology for thousands of years. And the beauty of a chart is that it, it immediately insists on multiplicity as the rea as the fundamental reality of a human consciousness, because you've got all this stuff going on in the chart, like all these different places, and they're not all enlisted in whatever someone's dominant project is, you know, like, so, you know, maybe the dominant project with a fifth house stellium is a sort of narcissistic zone. And that I personally relate to that a lot. Um, so yeah, those planets tend to want to run like that. There's a whole other part of, there's all kinds of other places in my chart that are also real that I might not have gotten really 
highly identified with, but that actually, if someone patiently sees that in me, I, it will begin to come forward also, right? And, and someone can relate to me as if I am that rather than always relating to me as if I'm narcissistic. Um, and so, I mean, part of my approach, you can probably hear is very relational. I have deep belief in relational process and the capacity of our relationships to change who we are. And as a therapist, my work is to show up in a different relational configuration, which allows the person to, to meet me in a different way. Um, and not to show up the same, as I said earlier, to show up in the same way that they're used to people showing up. And this, then they just relock the pattern. Um, so, uh, in other words, narcissistic process is being run a lot, but there are all these other processes that could be options. And if I start relating to the person as if that's there, often that does come forward to meet me. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I feel right now in our cultural moment where narcissism is a, is a kind of like, like what you said, it's kind of an epithet. It's kind of a, an attack even. Um, and I think that's really remarkable you know because there's a lot of shaming of narcissism particularly in our circles like uh, people who have a self-identity as like an empath uh, this whole empath narcissist thing that honestly just drives me crazy i mean same um, <laughs> it, it's a remarkable thing especially because one way of defining narcissism would be to think through the leo archetype and the leo story of you know the the, the story of hercules the one that you saw at norwak that you were referring to um and just very briefly, you know, that story is Hercules, the, 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 the major pivot that I see. I mean, this is just Jason's dream of that story. But, but the major pivot that I see in that is that at some point after slaying the Nemean lion, who is this kind of embodied archetype that is said to have like literally dropped off of the moon and fallen onto earth. And you know, he's this lion that's three times the size of a normal lion, impenetrable uh, skin. No one can beat him. And it's Hercules' first labor is to beat him and kill and to kill him and take bring the pelt back to uh the man who's giving him his labors and so uh, after hercules does do this through wrestling with it and through sort of um you know containing this archetypal force uh literally he contains him in his own tunnel on a mountain which had you know two entrances and he blocks the entrances and then goes in and wrestles this thing well when he brings it back um, and this is a very crucial moment. He brings it back and he's rejected when he brings it back by the guy who gave him. They're like, why'd you bring that thing in here? Um, and just think about a child who has made some accomplishment in their early life. And the parent is like, well, you know, what's that? You know, like, what do you do? You know, like, or uh, Don Kalshid, a friend of mine, you know, talks about, you know, a little girl picking flowers for her mother and going and giving them and offering them with like, just like, look what I did for you, mommy. And mommy gets focused on how could you pick the neighbor's flower? You know, like it's just a complete, right. And, and, and a child is sort of like pushed back within herself. And if you're in a, if, if, if how you survive that is a narcissistic process, then you might do what Hercules did, which is when he was refused that he then actually dons the, the, the pelt over himself and, literally even the the mouth of the lion is always shown as kind of enclosing his head and and the rest of hercules entire life he's always shown wearing the pelt and he's said to have always worn it and so he becomes identified with the archetype and to me that's the narcissistic moment is this you know you're wrapped in that and it's actually impenetrable right like the hide is impenetrable so if you think about when people get really identified with some aspect of their extraordinariness um, 
which we all get to be extraordinary. But but if you're running this kind of Leonian process, you become identified with the extraordinary and you disidentify with the ordinary. And uh, and there's usually shame over the ordinariness of yourself. Like there's a feeling that I have to be extraordinary to be okay. And and this could apply to people who have strong Leo who also maybe feel really bad about themselves. It's It's not that we're saying everybody gets into the extraordinary but there tends to be uh <laughs> <laughs> my cat just joined us i know i love it i love that the cat came when we're talking about the lion <laughs> um and so you know this person gets identified with the extraordinary within themselves like narcissists tend to be identified narcissists you know with what is extraordinary and disidentified with what is ordinary like so when i'm sitting with somebody like that there's some balancing act of like really appreciating their specialness and their extraordinariness. That's what they are really asking you to do in a very open way, usually. Like they're pushing that hard. But then my work is to also see their ordinariness and to help them increase a tolerance for their ordinariness as well. And what what I think is so ironic uh, is that what we're doing right now with narcissism in the culture and the way it's used uh, pejoratively is that we are actually um, we are actually shaming the narcissist, which is the birthplace of narcissism, right? The, the birthplace is you shouldn't be ordinary. You are what you do. You know, you need to be special. You need to perform. You need to, you know, do that. Then you're lovable. And we're basically saying the same thing to them when we shame them. Like, you know, like you're, you're, look how, look how ordinary you actually are. Look how shameful you are. Look how bad you are. It's all about you. You know, the, the shaming is only going to re-entrench the narcissism. You know, it's only going to re-entrench that response because it was born in shame. It was born of the feeling that the way I am is not okay. And I have to perform something. I have to put on a show. I have to put on an identity. I have to cloak myself in this thing. Um, because when I tried to bring myself forward in this authentic way, somehow that wasn't received, it was rejected or shamed. And so now we actually are perpetuating the same thing. And, and, and the greatest irony, of course, is that the self-declared empath is them, are themselves involved in narcissistic process. And I don't mean that judgmentally, but it's like, you know, when you say you are anything uh, other than just human and here, <laughs> um, you're engaged in narcissistic process. And that doesn't, it's not a bad thing. Like, but it's like, Basically, if someone says they're an empath, they're saying there's a special thing about me that I'm really sensitive <laughs> um, and, and they're claiming their specialness and they're actually getting identified with it. You know, they're identifying with an archetype of empathy. They've turned it into a noun and they're saying this is me and they project that into the world. I am this thing. Uh, that's not, that's narcissism. That's what that's what we do. And again, there's nothing shameful about that, but it is what's going on there usually, you know, like um it's it's very interesting to me. It's it's, it's a great irony that uh, the thing that that people are often saying is bad is actually what they're doing, um, and uh, and they're asking the world to also see them that way, right? They want to be seen a certain way. Most narcissistic process has decided on a particular image, and it seeks confirmation of the image from other people, and it gets angry when that's not received. It gets you know it, it there are all those things, but it's basically like the image comes first and you know one way to see this would be that that's a developmental process anytime we have a new dimension of ourselves um 
that we bring it forward and we say, this is me. And we look for a response from the world that helps to confirm that. And hopefully what happens is that we get that response. And then that kind of just settles into our identity. And, and it's like, okay, now this is me, you know, and, and then we move on and find a new dimension of self. And well, that's kind of what I hope will happen when I find new dimensions of myself. I do tend to push them out there. I want people to see this thing in me. Um, you know, over the last year, I, I ended my marriage. And so now I'm dating and I, I kind of want to be seen as this sexually attractive person. That's a kind of like a thing for me. And I'm like, why am I taking all these selfies? You know, I, I like I have all these, <laughs> you know, these things. Yeah. And, I, and I would have used to wanted to look like a sweet and understanding person. You know, I would have wanted to emphasize my Cancerian features, but or my Libran, you know, like what a, what a nice person. But now I'm all over, like, I want him to look Scorpio. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I, I'm wanting that out there. And I'm, and so I find myself molding that. Now the question will be uh, like, so that could be, and, and I'm receiving that kind of response to myself. I, I re, I'm, I'm receiving that type of attention now. And I notice myself integrating that and it's less important to receive it now. Like it's already kind of started to happen that way where it's just like, yep, that's part of me now. Um, that's what I think the power of narcissistic process is, is you, you bring forth something that's extraordinary from your inner world, you push it into the world, and hopefully the world can receive it and give you some of that, and then that helps you integrate it back. What will sometimes happen, though, is that people will get stuck in the loop of just constantly projecting it out, and they can't, like, it, it, they don't get that integration step. And so that's when we would probably call them a narcissist, right? Like, we would say, this per wow, this person just keeps demanding that the world see them a certain way and they just can't stop seem to stop doing that and they keep seeming to need and need and need this this feedback that i am this thing um and they've it stops being a developmental process and starts being an identity um but but, but i i i actually think the the whole selfie phenomenon is an interesting one for that because people get shamed for doing that you shouldn't do that you're you know uh, all these Saturn voices that I see on Facebook a lot, you know, Saturn is really difficult uh, and, you know, like shaming people for that. But I, I always think when I see a person doing a lot of that, I think they're experimenting with, with identity. They're, they're putting something out there they're, and they're probably, it's something an, that somewhat feels new to them. Now, of course there are people who are just going to keep doing that and you start to feel like, okay, this person is, trapped in the mirror, you know, as, as one of the books about narcissism is called where they, they can't stop looking for the feedback and you get the feeling that they're never internalizing this thing that they, they need people to keep telling them, yes, you're this, yes, you're this, yes, you're this. And they punish people who don't tell them, yes, you're this, you know, um, or they, you know, uh, but what we, what I hope for is that it is a developmental process where, you know, we help each other, we help each other become more complex and more uh, full and rich. So as parts of ourselves come forward, somehow we want them acknowledged in the world because we are, that helps us. Um, but if we get into the cycle, you know, like the over and over again, um, then, then probably we aren't getting benefit from that. And actually we tend to harm others because we get angry when they don't validate the image. Right. Anyway, that's a lot for me. <laughs> oh, I feel, I feel you highlighting the, the importance of integration. So to actually feel the, because if it makes me think about the square to Taurus from Leo. And so like the scarcity mm. versus abundance consciousness that mm -hmm. Leo mm -hmm. might be in an interaction with. So when it comes to getting attention, 
that feeling of feeling like, oh, this is enough, or this feels good, or I can actually receive this versus if there's no receptivity in Taurus, it seems like there's much more need to get attention by the time you get to Leo. Right. Great point. Yeah. Yeah. And actually that's interesting because like, if you think about when we talk about, um, uh, you know, skip steps in evolutionary astrology and we talk about how do they integrate, right? And like a, a skip step that's located in Leo integrates to Taurus, right? And they go backwards. So that's really interesting because the Leo energy is going to keep putting something out there. Like when I see a Leo planet square the nodes, right? I know that there's like a hook that involves like something like about this Leo story that we're telling right now is is on repeat and it, and is also up for major integration in this lifetime and the fact that it integrates through the taurian energy to me at least that's and i think to, to jeffrey's model um is like eventually you want that to become self-contained right like the the, the it's like that you know the person is not validation seeking right they they've they've sort of like consolidation is a taurian thing to me like you know and the integration as you're saying like the, that ability to really like I own this, you know, this is mine now. And that's kind of what I hope to see with Leonian process, right? Is that it can get to that place, but when it works the other way um, and you're stuck in this, then you also get into these pretty intense scorpionic situations where you're in merger, you know, you're, you're trying to get something from somebody else uh, believing that you somehow need that. Um, So yeah, I I like that. I, I hadn't, and I hadn't thought of any of the thing I just said, but, but I think it's really true. Yeah. It's very, and it's, I think you see that, um, feeling that something is missing, you know, I need something outside myself to be okay. Um, and as you know, you know, as we know, Taurus and it's really, when Taurus is really running in this cool way, it, it doesn't have that feeling. It's like, nope, I got what I need. Yeah. Well, you know, I want to tell you a little story and not indulge in it too long. But when I began my online brand um, and my blog and everything, I had um, a long distance partner who disappeared, stopped talking to me and two best friends who thought I was too intense and also ghosted me. And I was so angry and felt so like special. Like I was like, I have so much to offer the world. I was like, I'll befriend the whole world instead. And I decided to have an (laughs) online presence. And so I'm very self-aware at the potential that that's kind of like a narcissistic wound, but I have actually received a lot of validation on the internet and I, you know, I receive it really deeply. So there was a process of letting go of some of the defensive character structures that came with the way that my project started. So, Uh oh, I love it. I love it. And it's also, I like what you said because it also emphasizes that one of the things I most help people with or desire to help people with, it moves me a little to say, is receiving love, right? I mean, there's that love is there. Like, like, like part of the thing that happens when you're stuck in personality process is that you only let certain love in in certain ways. Usually, you know, like we say, this is how you can love me. I I had a client once who somehow I talked to her about this. This was someone who ran more of borderline process. If I were speaking psychological language or in astrology language, the particular metaphor of borderline process in that chart was cancer Libra squaring, which uh, I frequently see with that, like um, where the person really needs a lot of reassure, you know, like needs to, sort of feel really perfectly attuned to. And if they don't feel perfectly emotionally received, 
they won't let you go any further. And, and, and they'll let you know very readily that you didn't attune properly. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I'm saying they, that I happen to be a major, uh, you know, uh, what is it? The, I, I'm not only uh, the founder of the company, I'm a member. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, and so I cancer Libra square has kind of explained my chart, but, um, so they want the perfect attunement, which they have decided, and they've also decided what you need to say for them to know you did that proper attunement. Um, but what I, so what you say as a therapist or astrologer, what I have to learn is how will this person accept love and then give it to them the way that they want it at the beginning. So I will admire a narcissist. Now I have to find the place in me that genuinely admires. So I will not fake things with clients. No way. Um, but I can usually find that, you know, because people are special that like, that's actually true. Um, you just have to kind of reach that place where you can genuinely feel it from inside. And when I can get to that, I can give someone what they, the kind of love that they're ready to receive that they are looking for. But what I hope to do is to gently incur, expand the range of love that they can let in, that they could actually let in, for instance, criticism as a form of love, right? Like, like narcissistic processes quite known for deflection of criticism like they, like they, that feels like the shame that they remember as children and they don't want to let any of that in they can't imagine that that could be actually be love um or if you really see their vulnerability and let them know that you see their vulnerability that feels like really dangerous to people who are running strong narcissistic process and yet over time I, I really hope they they will be able to receive that as love or opposite in the borderline configuration, which is how psychology names the empath configuration a lot of times. Um, in the borderline configuration, someone wants you to see their vulnerability. They want you to relate to them that way. They often want you to take care of the child in them. Um, and they do not feel loved when you call them to be in the more adult place. I mean, think of Cancer Capricorn, right? Like cancer really feels coldness when you relate to them adult adult they you know they want the parent child configuration usually if they're if you're if you're really stuck in cancerian process you're you know jody foster or not foster a uh, forest <laughs> uh used to talk about you know the baby it's a cancer is a baby looking for a breast or a breast looking for a baby um, <laughs> yeah and if you don't show up as a breast or a baby it feels cold and and like you know really um saturnian and depriving to the cancer energy right and so i have to first be a breast or a baby which i happen to like being so i can play that with <laughs> but over time i want to introduce the possibility of other relational configurations because let's face it if you're going around the world uh, relating everywhere as breast and baby you are missing out on a lot of relational opportunities and you are also never feeling empowered in, in certain respects. So like when Cancerian process is really activated that way, it's so powerful to watch people step into the more adult adult interactions. And that doesn't mean they give up their Cancerian amazing parental child zone, um, but they now have the option of other, they have other options now that they can run. You know, they don't have to just run parent child configuration. Um, and with all the signs and all the configurations, we can see how they bring in certain relational templates uh, that they've decided are the ones they can do. And somehow, and this is also an even in one time reading, you, I want to immediately in a one time reading, I'm trying to feel in my body, what is the person pulling me to do? Like, what are they like, what am I noticing I do? So for instance, if somebody has got a Virgo Pisces nodal axis, 
let's say it's south node in Pisces, I'll often be feeling the pull to be structural and order the reading and give them facts, you know, all the Virgoan complementarity, right? I'll feel that pull in me. And then I have to ask myself, what do I actually want to do? Do I want to go ahead and do that? Because sometimes why not? You know, like that's fine. Um, But other times I might think, no, I I don't want to be one more person you know, organizing this person, you know, like that I've taken on the Virgo task of organizing their Piscean confusion. Um, I don't want to be that person this time, I, you know, or, or I don't sense that that's where Eros is in the work, that that's where life force is trying to go. Because um, that's another thing for me with, you know, therapy and astrology is I'm, it's uh, erotic to me, uh, which I do mean sexually, but I, I don't mean sexualizing the client therapist thing. But I mean, a much bigger notion of Eros that's about life force, you know, the pulse of, uh, you know, where where's the juice here? You know, where is this going to be a new chapter to the story and not just the same story? Because I'm easily bored with the same story. <laughs> yeah, no, the way that you talk about therapy, it sounds like so dynamic and that you would be traveling to all these different worlds in the same day. Yeah, <laughs> that's so. a good way of saying it. Yeah, yeah. And with the same person even I mean, in one session, like it's, that's the beautiful thing here too, is like, if you're working this way, you totally have no idea where the therapy is going. That's completely like, there's no such thing as a treatment plan in my therapy. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't even, I don't even understand that way. I think like, it, it, it's like, I have no idea where this is going or what is the right thing. I do not think in terms of progress, that word drives me nuts. That feels very much like the Saturn Protestant ethic Saturn business that we do here, um, or even evolution. Uh, you know, I, I am I'm very grounded in the evolutionary paradigm of astrology, but evolution isn't my favorite word because it feels linear. It feels like you know you got to go here, and, and it also starts assigning things to people like, oh, if you're too much of this, you need to go do that. Um, I can't. That doesn't make any sense to me. To me, if you're fully if you're able to fully live the thing you're in right now, the next thing will happen. You know, it's like, and my work as a therapist is to help people fully experience their current experience. And if they do, the next thing will happen. You know, like, it's just, that's what will happen. Like, if you fully experience what you're in, and usually we need another person, and or if you've come to therapy, you, you're somewhere where you need another person to help you really land in your experience and feel it in all its dimensionality. Um, so for instance, with narcissism, to come back to that, I want a person to feel fully what it's like to live running narcissistic process. Now, so that also means they would be feeling fully the limitations of that and how binding it is and how unsatisfying it is. Um, all of that would become available as data, so to speak, to the person, at which point people will make different choices. I mean, that's just kind of what happens you don't really have to set an agenda like you need to go be more Aquarian would be the Leo response right but and again I've kind of stayed with the Leo um, metaphor for narcissism for our purpose here but but of course I have seen many narcissistic configurations you know that it like what sorry like what other configurations oh uh well for instance certain types of inflation uh the pisces pisces archetype will come in or neptune and pisces where there's certain inflations um that become identified with something much bigger than the ego much bigger than the self and the person gets identified with that in some way um sagittarian process and jupiterian process hyper can be hyper expanding and 
set like the the sort of more know-it-all version of narcissism you know like where i i i know uh, i have the answers um uh when, one which i might add is a very frequent traveler in astrological circles um that uh, because I, I think i'm convinced that many people enter astrology because they want to know all the answers um and uh hopefully we reach a place in our astrology where we realize it's just going to endlessly give more questions you know it's going to endlessly it's never going to give you the answers, but, um, but it's like, or if it gives answers, they're improvisational, you know, it's like in this moment, that's the answer. Um, of course I'm speaking, I sound very Mercury saying, that. <laughs> um, but it's uh, true though. So the Pis- yeah. yeah. Do you find that? I do because I mean, I think about it with the Gemini Sagittarius opposition and that exactly. if you are very Sagittarian and truth becomes fixed in some way, you're negating the Gemini side of it, which is about constant mutation and the path forking in all these different ways. And I remember mm-hmm. when I first started to experience kind of direct downloads or the clairvoyant abilities that I have, I would get answers that I thought were true. And then I would be really confused when the next day I would get a different answer that was slightly different Mm. or the opposite. And Mm. Mm. it kind of just turned my assumption on its head that the truth would be ultimate somehow throughout time, but that it would just fluctuate day by day. Yeah, that's beautiful. And that reminds me, you know, you had put something uh, on the internet recently about, you know, loving Gemini and really appreciating the Geminian consciousness and i think what you just said is it's is its prime contribution to our awareness is that the, that ability to be in a to recognize the, the constantly evolving nature of or, or constantly changing nature of the truth in quotes you know it's like um and the relative positionality of that which doesn't deny an absolute but it it's like it reminds us that we're in this flux you know flux state as humans in the world of form um which is kind of what my point is there too, is like, we don't want to establish the truth of this person is they are a narcissist, the truth about, you know, I kind of want to keep it in motion, you know, the, the, like really respect that the psyche is so dynamic. And the minute you create a paradoxical response to a pattern, someone's holding a pattern over here and you respond in a way that isn't what the pattern is used to. It's amazing how it will, the, the, the psyche will creatively respond to this new stimulus um and a new dimension of the person will come forward now this also is a hugely demanding way to be a therapist or an astrologer because we have to be willing to take all sorts of intersubjective positions that we ourselves might not even know what we're stepping into when we do it you know it's like i i am constantly taken to my edge in my work to to, to a point where i have to really um you know do a lot to to to, to take care of myself with that because it's psychically demanding to work this way. Because if you're trying to increase other people's flexibility, you have you have to move, you know, increase your own, you know, and and increase your own uncertainty and hit your own limitations, you know, again and again. Because 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 we don't help, you know. I'm I've only been doing life for 45 years, you know, this time around, and uh, there's a lot about me that isn't developed, and you know, it isn't even close to done. So. If the person in front of me, if the thing that they seem to need is a thing that I am not used to stepping into myself, well, wow, there we go. And I trust that. I always trust that. Like if somebody's in front of me, I'm the right one. Like we're we're, the, we're in the right configuration, but I'm probably just going to have to stumble around, you know, seeking how to how to do this dance. 
rather than just go to the secure place of like, oh, I will now be the therapist or you know, now be the astrologer who, you know, um, stepping back to that. Although I will also say some people really need us to be that, right? Like I, I do think, for instance, in the worlds that I travel in psychotherapeutically, we would talk about the importance of the therapist not being set up as expert, you know, like which disempowers the client. But there are moments where people need us to be the expert, just like as astrologers, there are moments when people need predictive material. Like, you know, a lot of people are like, I never, ever do prediction. And I'm not especially predictively oriented, although I always have predictive elements in my readings. But, um, but there are moments when, when we do need the person we're sitting with to show up as the expert. And the question is, how does the astrologer show up as that, knowing that that's not all of who they are? And that that's just an improvisation for a particular encounter in consciousness that's desired at this time versus I am truly the expert. And I don't believe I'm the expert. I just don't. But I think I can step into the space of expert when that seems to be the relational configuration that will advance the story. There, you know, you're, it's a, but you're holding this meta understanding, very Gemini, Mercury, right? That, that that's just a role I'm taking in order to facilitate a particular illumination or or flexible you know to activate or to deactivate a pattern that's been in place um it's not the truth of who i am right i, I don't i'm not more advanced than my clients uh that's not true but sometimes they need to see me that way and i'm willing to be seen that way um you know as the wiser person or whatever but there's no way in hell that's actually the truth <laughs> like, and, and all you have to do is ask any ex-partner of mine <laughs> It's it's so interesting actually because it there is that potential like even sometimes like I observe how people will treat me and I get information about that person from how they're treating me and I can get yeah. the projection of like oh you know so much you know mm-hmm. and it's like uh-huh, well right, yeah. I am mm-hmm. very studied in astrology and I have intuition and whatnot but um, that's not who I am at every single moment too right. and there's also the difference between interacting with someone as a client versus when you're just out with friends mm-hmm. um, and the ability to shift between roles and not feel like you're in a specific role. And I feel yeah. like that's what therapy or studying psychology can really offer astrology too, mm-hmm. is that I think like Mark Jones had talked a lot about that at, at conferences mm-hmm. is like this desire of like, you know, don't be stuck in your role as an astrologer. It's, it's like, yes, yeah, I call it, I don't know how to and say also it. because like, that's also limiting for us. Like that's boring. I mean, after, uh, that's a word I use on these things, but it's like, you know, that is so limiting for the practitioner, you know, much less for what, how it limits the client. Because of course, if you are always the one with the answers, then you're keeping your client as having to be the one with the questions and they don't get to be the one with the answers or whatever the thing is, you know? And so, or if you're always the, the healer, then they always have to be the patient and they will feel a pull from you. That's when you're identify your attractor or your the process you're running is so like stuck that you require a world of patience. If you're if you identified as a healer and you think that's who you really are, then you have required the world to be a world of patience, you know, or of other wow. healers, you know, either way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. I also think that this um the Cancer South Node has this association in my mind of being really aware of what personality is. It's like, so aware of like, what's the home of my soul right Mm. now. And that Mm. you can 
edit your home. You can take out the furniture and put in new furniture and have a different experience inside of it. And then you can also get really attached to the way that your home has been set up and, Mm -hmm. you know, or like you haven't Mm -hmm. cleaned for a while or like something's off with the feng shui and you think that that's just reality, but you change it and then your whole reality Mm -hmm. changes. Mm -hmm. So I I love that, Sabrina. That's a really great I love the way you said, because I think that is what personality or the home, my, the home of my soul. Yeah, exactly. Oh, God, that's gorgeous. Because that really, and that's exactly what I hope people can do is to have a more flexible relationship with home. You're not taking home away from someone, but you're actually giving them a way to live in that shell, you know, live in that shell or that home in a different way. Um, exactly. That's, I really like that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, how can people find you and potentially work with you or see some of your talks? Um, so, uh, my website is jasonholly.net is Holly with an E. Um, and so that's the best way to find me and, and my work and also, uh, my emails on there. And that's the best way to reach me. Um, and, uh, I do webinars, uh, with astrology university is kind of the main place where I do that. Um, I, have a whole series that you referred to earlier. That's really about the mythology underlying the con or the, about each of the constellations that we use as uh, signs for the tropical Zodiac. Um, and I think that's uh, some of the work that I'm most passionate about, uh, getting out there because the mythology of the, those is not usually known. And then also it's a way of what I hope people experience with my work is on the one hand, the content that I bring in any particular, you know, session. But on the other hand, I'm hoping to teach a way of thinking that is, is mythological and, um, and, uh, mm, that, 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 that can hold with the story and not have to go straight to keyword or straight to like what it means, but actually kind of be in that certain type of consciousness. So, um, I, I do local classes here in Santa Fe and people who study with me for a while, I think that's what I hope happens over time. And I see that it does. Um, so yeah, webinars I have there. Uh, I'm also about to do a series on sect, uh, day and night distinctions, um, which is a very passion of mine. But, you know, there's this huge Hellenistic revival, as you know, going on in astrology. Um, but it is not, uh, I don't think that it has yet been psychologically imagined. And so I have a huge interest in with a lot of those techniques and distinctions that are coming forward with really using our, our psychological imagination with those. And so sect, which is about day and night consciousness, as I see it, um, is hugely rich terrain. So I'm about to do a webinar series starting in the fall on that, uh, with astrology university. Um, and then I'm, I'll be, I'll be, uh, teaching. I don't, uh, you know, according to where people are, but I, um, I'm going to be at the, uh, Australian conference in, in, uh, January and doing some lectures around Australia and New Zealand. And then, in April in London and uh, Norway and, and uh, Ireland and so on. So I'll be Very around. Exciting. It's all on my website. It's all on. Yeah. I'm super excited. I, it's all on my website, but yeah, it's a, it's a heavy, not heavy. It's a full year of, of getting out there. Cause I, I, there's just a fair bit of work that I've really been doing and I'm, I'm really wanting to get it in wider circulation. Cause I, I, I believe in it. I, th- I think it's, um, you know, there's some useful stuff. Definitely. So yeah, that's the best way. And and I do do therapy. I do Skype based stuff. Um, I usually need to know someone in some way in person first. But uh, um, you know, there's it's all flexible. So uh, so people can be in touch for that too. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's definitely listeners in Australia. So 
go check out Jason's talks yeah, at these conferences. Cool. Right. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Jason. I love your work. And yeah, I'm just really glad we got to talk. Yeah, me too, Sabrina. Thank you. I'm, I'm really glad too. Thank you so much for listening. Since we recorded this episode, I've been thinking about the concept of attunement, you know, emotional attunement to another, being emotionally attuned to. And it's interesting because it's something that I really value as a South Node in Cancer, but I didn't really have that particular vocabulary for it until this conversation. And so that was really exciting to me. And also the North node for the collective right now is in Cancer. We have a lot of heavy Capricorn astrology with Pluto, Saturn, and the South node all in Capricorn, but the North node is in Cancer. So there's this influx or this kind of evolutionary movement. And I'm a little bit self-conscious about calling it evolutionary based on this conversation. So let me think about how to word it. Um, so the south node in the collective or the natal chart doesn't represent something that's just like, okay, enough Capricorn, we're done with that, time to move on to Cancer. There's a certain restoration process that happens with the south node. The energies of the south node get kicked up into the field. And so we might be remembering or reviewing certain Capricorn themes like responsibility and getting it done and all of that. And as someone who owns their own business, I have a lot of Capricorn energy going on that kind of, you know, even creating content consistently, it doesn't matter how I feel, I create content. And it doesn't mean that I create bad content. There's this certain ability to compartmentalize and be like, okay, I may be having a bad day or I might be going through something, but I'm going to show up as my best self to create some good content right now. And even doing that actually lifts me up because I actually enjoy, you know, I can be depressed, I can be going through something, but when I go to work or when I'm showing up for someone else, I get to take a break from my own drama for a minute and go somewhere else. Now that could become a problem if I never unpacked my baggage, never dealt with my own interior life, and I was just living purely through my external or public or, you know, my artistic creative self. Um, so that's where it can get too much Capricorn, where it's like you've lost your internal, you're just in the external. This is just one example, right? But moving into Cancer as a North Node, it's like, you know, for the collective right now. And so many of the themes that came up in this episode have a lot to do with Cancerian things like emotional attunement and the personality being a function of cancer. We might think that the personality is something that we are, as in it is a noun, but often it's a pattern, something that we remember that we've done cyclically over and over again. And so it feels like it's who we are, but if we unravel the personality, there's another essence underneath that. So what does it mean to be developing the cancer archetype at this time in the collective? I think it can be a lot about tuning into our emotional body, realizing that we may have certain ways that we are more rigid, a la Capricorn, we're just showing up, we're doing the thing, we're being responsible, we're wearing the masks. And cancer can be the process of actually kind of holding ourselves through the process of like, hey, how do you feel right now? Writing in a journal, checking in, doing the kind of self-care things where we're being more tender with ourselves. And because of the heaviness of the Capricorn astrology in the collective right now, um, cancer as an opposition to that is wet. It's a water sign. And so 
thinking about maybe areas of life that have become brittle and dry and how they could be moistened or given, you know, water and that form of life into them. Places where the psyche might be dry. How can we bring water to it? And so, yes, that is a little bit um, abstract. I think it's a little bit of a an image to think about um, as you go about your life thinking, okay, where is it brittle and dry? Where is there a desert? And in what ways can I bring rain into this desert? Maybe it's an emotional process that has been stalled. You know, we've put, we've compartmentalized something like Capricorn is so good at, and it becomes time to, as a mature function of Capricorn, even to like take the time and space to sit down and unpack the baggage and to have that kind of stern, like Capricorn, okay, this is the right thing I'm to do. I'm going to do it. And then being in the Cancerian, okay, these are the feelings that are coming up. And so, yes, it has this kind of parent-child dynamic um, with Cancer Capricorn, you know, relating to life through that lens of maybe a more mature or a more grounded part of ourselves that can be holding space for like a a watery and all over the place. And water just is all over the place. If you have water in a cup, it's going to stay in the cup. But as soon as the cup is gone, the water just flows everywhere. So... That can be one reason that we kind of avoid certain Cancerian processes is because it feels overwhelming. Like if I allow myself to feel this, I'm going to be a mess. I'm going to be all over the place. And so we go to the Capricorn. Okay, what are the boundaries? What are the containers? So even doing like workshops or going into a therapeutic process or, you know, these things we do that create containers, sometimes the depth or the integrity of the container actually allows us to feel things that we didn't have the space to feel in our ordinary lives. And so that can be a specific event for that container, but it can also be a solo thing. Like again, writing in a journal or having a moment at the end of the day to reflect and review and just be with ourselves. There's different ways that we can create time and space to feel and to attune to our emotional realities. And hopefully then also inspired by this podcast to think about our personalities and the ways that some of our personality structures may have become limitations and there may also be parts of our personality that we want to live into a little bit more. Um, I'll give a a little personal example before we go is that um, for a lot of my life, I have not felt like I'm a good dancer and I've been insecure to dance because I don't feel like I'm good at it. But lately dance has become something that I'm really passionate about. I don't necessarily feel like I'm good at it but I'm enjoying it at the least. And it's almost like a new identity to step into of like, oh, this is the version of me who dances. This is the version of me who dances and may not be good at it, but I'm still doing it anyway. And I get to have like a different experience in my emotional body for sure. Definitely in my physical body and feeling all this elation and ecstasy after hours of dancing. And I think, how was I not doing this all my life? I stopped myself from doing it because I thought I wasn't good at it. I was judging it, you know, and now I'm just opening that box dancing and it's super fun. Um, And in a way, it's opening up a different kind of flexibility of experience. So thinking about your personality or your habits and how certain habits are supporting your intentions and some might not be, and that they are just habits, they aren't who we are, so we can actually change them. All right, everyone, have a blessed day and thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Mm